Indeed, there are more questions than answers. Like why do they call it the Department of Interior when they're in charge of everything that's outdoors? Hi America, hello world. My name is Adrian Lee and I am your host. Welcome to the show More Questions Than Answers, the only paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world. Each week my guests and I will search the world's newspapers, websites and TV shows just for you to bring you the very best in paranormal talk radio entertainment and enlightenment. We will then test each other's knowledge of the week's events of the mysterious, strange, supernatural, unusual, bizarre, and just plain weird. If you have just tuned in especially to hear the show, then I admire your taste. If you have just tuned in by accident, then I admire your luck. I am huddled under my quilt with a large flashlight and a nice cup of tea, with tonight's guests somewhere in the barren wildernesses of the Midwest Plains, with the sound of my elderly mother snoring distantly, from the room next door. So snuggle under your covers, turn out your light and hold on tight. The rules are very simple. Points will be awarded randomly for being interesting and for making me laugh or shiver in horror. Extra points will be available for shock and awe value. To help me control my rowdy panel of recidivists and retrobates, I will employ what I have called the inappropriate bell. An example of that would be... The panel have no idea what's coming. I have no idea what stories they have for tonight's show. And we are completely live and unedited. What could possibly go wrong? So without any further ado, let us introduce tonight's guest panel. Firstly, the mysterious and evervescent Heather Morris. She has been a paranormal investigator for many years, with her own team called Hellhound Paranormal, and does all of her best work in the shadows. She is now the audio and EVP expert with the International Paranormal Society and brings her knowledge and research skills to tonight's show. Heather has spent all week wondering why Tarzan doesn't have a beard. (laughs) Really? That's the sound I make when I tread on a Lego brick. (laughs) Nothing is more painful, is it, than a Lego brick. If the Spanish Inquisition would have used Lego bricks back in the 17th century, then the world would be a different place. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Heather. Good evening. We also have with us the sceptical and analytical mind of Kim Gore. Kim is also a talented and valued member of the International Paranormal Society. Kim has spent all week pondering where the fire goes when the fire goes out. Welcome to the show, Kim. <laughs> Hello. I don't know. You're at home and the fire goes out and it doesn't tell you where it's going. You have no <laughs> idea what time it's coming home. How long does it take to make a phone call? How long does it... They treat the place like a hotel. It's appalling, just like my parents. (laughs) Finally, on tonight's show, I wish to introduce the calm and unflappable Greg Gore. He is married to Kim, and we shall see if this is still the case after tonight's show. Greg is a paranormal investigator and tech expert. He owns and operates more cameras and leads 
than the BBC Outside Broadcast Department. He is also a producer and sound mixer. Greg realised this week that if you castrate a Q, it becomes an O. Welcome to the show, Greg. I'm guessing it's been a slow week for you in the fields. 26, episode 26. Did you know there was 26, or there are 26 boxes in the show deal or no deal? Does anyone want to have a guess for points straight off the bat? Points to be played for here. What is the atomic number 26? Does anyone know what element that is? Does anyone want to jump in and have a guess? Atomic number 26 on the periodic table. Any guesses? Silence. You don't even want to have a guess. I'm going to have to tell you, it's iron. It's also the number of red or black cards that you get in a deck of cards. And did you know that 26 is the last age that you can be drafted into the US Army at? So the show is now safe, where a show no longer needs to worry about fighting in foreign lands. (laughs) I've had a very interesting week, actually. I didn't realise did some research. We live quite close to a place called Sleepy Eye in Minnesota, down here in the southwest corner of the state. Sleepy Eye, some of you may remember or recognise the name because on Little House on the Prairie, they was always going off to Sleepy Eye to buy hats or ribbons or whatever they needed. So it was quite famous in that particular show. I didn't realise, I did some research. I discovered that on the 17th of April, 1897, a strange flying vehicle appeared over the skies of Sleepy Eye, and they describe it as being a UFO. Now, they didn't use the term UFO because that term wasn't coined until the 1950s. But they said they saw a flying vehicle going over the skies. And remember, this is eight or nine years before the first manned flight. And uh, I didn't realise, having done some more research on this, that that flying object was seen all the way through the Midwest in the months of March, April and May of 1897. Now, bearing in mind, this is 10 years before Zeppelin invented the flying vehicles, the hot air balloons. And there has been a suggestion, there's several books been written, suggesting that someone in the Midwest invented an airship with a combustion engine and flew it all around the Midwest back in 1897. And all the villagers were kind of looking up, wondering what the strange object in the sky was but the thing is I did some research on this this week and that object was found in so many places and seen in so many places around the midwest it couldn't have been the same flying ship because if you're being seen on the ground in sleepy eye you then can't be seen you know a thousand miles away in Michigan at the same time there's no way an airship can make those kinds of journeys so I'm still thinking that was perhaps what we'd now describe as a UFO but unbeknownst to me, the local town of Sleepy Eye then had a day. On the 17th of April, they would decorate their shops, they would put bunting out, like a modern-day Roswell, where you have the local alien diner, and they would make a big play of this, and this would be an annual event that was still going up until the 1920s and 1930s. So if there's any ufologists out there, it's a remarkable early sighting that's been documented in the local papers And uh, the interesting caveat of that story is that the Jeffers petroglyphs are only about 15 miles as the crow flies from Sleepy Eye. And the petroglyphs are a series of rocks where the local Native American Indians drew bizarre and strange pictures, over 6,000, you know, drawings and symbols all over these rocks dating back five, 6,000 years. And now you start to look at those 
drawings and there's strange figures with three arms and individuals with one big cycloptic eyeball and they think that some of the drawings look like Orion's belt and you're starting to put bits together here and think well hang on a second did that flying ship appear thousands of years before that in the same place and the Native Americans are documenting all of this so that was my week whilst everyone else was watching the World Cup or sitting out in the sun I was studying petroglyphs from 6,000 years ago, trying to make out if I could see UFOs in them. But I thought that was quite a remarkable story, you know, to actually have documented newspaper evidence of UFOs back in 1897, even though they didn't use that terminology, is quite remarkable. So that was my week. So I thought I'd introduce the show by talking about my research, because I thought that was very interesting. You all sat there in silence looking at me as if I'm mad. As if I should be doing other things like gardening. And yes, everyone's nodding in agreement. So very shortly, I'm sure there'll be a van coming to take me away as uh-huh. we speak. <laughs> there we go. And that wasn't any of Greg's sound effects this time. That was Kim. We're going to jump into the first round. Jump as if we're scared, I guess. It is the round of ghosts and hauntings. Heather, what have you got for me tonight in the round of ghosts and hauntings? Hey, Lord, we asked a ghost hunter to solve your haunting problem. Apparently, some feisty ghosts were trying to collaborate with Lord, knowing that Lord's a busy woman and might not have time to talk to a ghost expert herself. We reached out to a famed ghost hunter on her behalf. Did I hear the first opening bars there? Of yep, there we go. I thought I heard <laughs> Ghostbusters. <laughs> Removing spirits feel makes one feel very invigorated. Steampunk Ghostbusters. Yes. If anyone thinks that, that's a fabulous idea. I like the idea of writing. A series of steampunk Ghostbusters. You know, if you could write a book... You're giving all your secrets away. Based on the Victorian period, but, but Victorians that remove ghosts and use steampunk equipment to do it. There's a film <laughs> all in All your there. secrets are That would be fabulous. I'm, I'm sure somewhere Dan Aykroyd is listening and writing this down as we speak. <laughs> the professional ghoul expert had some sage advice for young Lord. A professional ghoul expert? Is that yes. like a job description? I went yep. to university and studied uh, ghoul removal, by the way. I just thought I'd mention that. <laughs> yeah, I got a 2-2. T- How two, many two. credits did you get for that? <laughs> Enough. <laughs> I'm also very good at playing darts and pool and cards, so uh, it wasn't time spent badly, I guess. On Monday, June 30th, Lord tweeted, Ghosts in the studio don't want us to record tonight. They're leaving their ghost hum on everything. Bzzz. Wow, you shall get two points for making up your own sound effects. Very interesting. You're welcome. Don't think you're going to get two more if you do it again. <laughs> She's currently working on her follow-up of her 2013 debut album, Pure Heroin. Tell the occupant of her studio that was once of the living to please politely vacate when she is recording the music so she can do what she's meant to do, said ghost hunter Alexandra Holzer, who is the daughter of famed hunter Hans Holzer, and that's what she told MTV News. What, she told them that she was the daughter, or she told them that's yeah, what she had to do? Yeah, that's the only thing that made her credible, apparently. <laughs> well, she does have the same last name, and she does look like him, so I'm guessing she's telling She the looks truth. like him. That's an insult. Well, she's got his beard. Oh. <laughs> he three people laugh in the room, so it was worth it. I have joked Tourette's. If it's funny, it's coming out, even if it's inappropriate. <laughs> Alexandra also had informed uh, MTV that what Lord really needs to do when she's in the studio by herself is... He's actually record some decent music. Oh, Adrian Edwards. So I'm being really cynical, I'm sorry. <laughs> is actually stand up, talk out loud, and tell the ghost exactly what she wants. You know, 
don't what, talk. backing vocals, just harmonisation? <laughs> what was she after here? Wouldn't it be great if you could make an album just purely of you know, ghosts singing in the background? You could, you could have Freddie Mercury decomposing in the corner and, you know. <laughs> I, um, How dare you? What a, this is a rough start to the show. Thank you for introducing all of this early on. I, um, I'm guessing that the studio then used to be an old building or a house before it was a, a studio. I know there's a recording studio in London called the church and it's converted church it's now a recording studio they've got really good acoustics of course but you could imagine all kinds of spirits and ghosts wandering through there and i've actually done um some recording myself in the past when i've been in bands and on a lower level obviously than than what she's at but you if you have an open mic you can hear humming and you can hear things in the background and you could be searching the whole studio to find out where that live mic is and and sometimes you just can't find it there's so many channels and so many mics and so many instruments plugged in that you're messing around on the soundboard you can't track down where that live mic is it's quite ridiculous so uh, i can understand where that's coming from well uh, i believe alexandra went alexandra went on further to say that uh, they think the hum is actually being generated by the ghosts. So oh. as they're coming into the studio, it's causing their mics to hum, where there was no hum before. Sure, you could be bringing a, a EMF with you, of course, electromagnetic field could be coming into that. But there was an occasion, Greg, um, you was touched, weren't you, when you was doing a walkthrough in the uh, textiles room of the Pipestone Historical Society. And we've got this on video. Kim was videoing Greg doing a walkthrough and he's got all of the uh, uniforms there from the first world war second world war civil war they're all in a rack in this particular room that's specifically designed to house and store textiles in, in an environment that keeps them safe and uh, we were running an emf meter along those and we were getting some amazing readings of it going up into the red and we were trying to work out why the uniforms were reading so high free emf and we was even thinking about the concept that some of those uniforms could have been worn at a time when they was doing nuclear testing because you know during the second world war and after the second world war they'd actually have troops walking towards a nuclear explosion to see you know what was what was going on there and they used them as human guinea pigs so we were trying to come up with various theories but greg you actually got touched didn't you, you got grabbed by the arm and that was that was one of your first paranormal experiences wasn't it yep that's right and interestingly enough, fair play to Greg. He didn't run off. He didn't scream. He just looked at the camera, went very white, and then said, I'm going out for a cigarette. So uh, <laughs> fair play to Greg. And he should have points for that. I should give him two points yeah. for that. But um, the, what I'm coming to is that we had this video clip of Greg being grabbed by the arm as he was holding that EMF K2 meter. And by complete accident, when he was playing that back one day, um, you had all the channels up so it was very loud it came through blaringly loud on that particular clip just purely by accident and uh, what you heard was a build-up of a humming sound that started very low and then got very loud and actually then dissipated the moment you got grabbed and we hadn't heard that previously before I mean that was quite a strange phenomenon wasn't it yes it was and it, it ended just Right when I jumped is when it dropped off to nothing. It's almost like it's building up an energy and then gets discharged the moment you get grabbed. And if you're then saying that, you know, they're thinking that this humming sound is being picked up on the microphones every time there's paranormal activity, we've actually had experience of that and we've actually captured that as evidence. So that's a very interesting story. I should give you a fabulous five points to start Yay. this show. 
I've got a story here. It says a spooked couple reckon their 17th century pub is haunted after a pint of ale flew off the bar and landed on the floor without spilling a single drop. Jenny Hurd and Martin McCon laughed off ghost stories after taking over the historic Crow's Nest Inn on Bodmin Moor in Cornwall. But within days of their arrival, the couple say they witnessed a full pint of proper job ale sliding off the bar and onto the floor. When they raced over to inspect the mess, they were stunned to find the glass was standing upright on the stone floor and none of the beer was spilled. My granddad used to drink very fast, actually, because he said he had one knocked over once. As the oldest building in the village that bears its name, the Crow's Nest has long been a focus for thirsty locals and moorland visitors alike, appearing on Joel Gascoigne's famous map of Cornwall as far back as 1699. I've investigated a lot of pubs in Britain because, of course, they're very old. In the village um, that I lived in for a while called Ampton in Bedfordshire, there's a local pub in that village called the White Swan. And monks were brewing beer on that site since the 9th century. So to go and uh, investigate in that pub, in fact, what I remember from that investigation is I put some trigger objects on one of the floors on the second floor of the pub where there was a bit of a hotel going on. And I used um, some uh, baby powder and I sprinkled it on the floor where the trigger object was. And I came back later in the evening. You could see where the object had moved around the floor on its own in the powder that I'd, I'd, I'd sprinkled on the floor. But that was a very interesting um, investigation. Numerous paranormal events have been chronicled over the years from a clock that constantly ran 10 minutes fast, no matter how many times it was wound back, to a bell that was said to ring all on its own. Locals say as many as four separate ghosts haunt the traditional outhouse, including the spectre of a local woman who was murdered in 1844. Jenny said it went terribly cold in the bar all of a sudden. Everybody in the pub just stopped and looked around to see how it could have happened. But the doors were all shut and nobody was standing near the glass at the time it moved. A house doesn't get to be this old without retaining a few of its more peculiar features. There's room for all of us here, and we're looking forward to meeting more of our special guests properly. I wonder what she means by properly. How would you meet your special guests and your ghosts? Do you have like a meet and greet? You move into a house, there's all the ghosts all lined up and you're shaking their hands. You know, this is the white lady and uh, she haunts the downstairs lobby. This is the hooded monk. He roams the basement if you'd like to introduce yourself to him. This is the headless drummer boy. He will take you by surprise in the corridor every Thursday during the hours of darkness. How, how do you get to meet your ghost properly? How does this... <laughs> it's no very idea. strange. So uh, that is what she's saying. So I'm sure over the next few months she shall be properly introduced to them and probably properly haunted as well but very haunted pubs i'm sure there's many books on the hauntings and the pubs all around britain especially on bodmin moor in cornwall kim what have you got for me tonight in the round of ghosts and hauntings demon fighters or troublemakers pope approves exorcist tax task force wow that took you by surprise didn't it i see your mother's <laughs> arrived the Vatican has officially recognized a leading association of demonologists despite debates in the Catholic Church over the impact of exorcism rites. The decision stems from the faith of Pope Francis, who appears to believe in a literal Satan. The uh, demonologists count two, uh, right around 250 members, and they're from 30 countries. The organization... So I was just about to say, you'd be hard-pushed to name 30 countries, wouldn't you, to be honest? Yes, I would. I guess, well, there was... <laughs> how many in the World Cup? There was 32? Yes. I guess there were, I guess you could manage 32, I guess. It's very interesting. The Vatican continually plays down the concept of, uh, you know, Satan and demonology 
but you know then trains up over 6,000 you know priests a year in exorcism so why would you be doing that if they don't ultimately exist seems very bizarre to me and who'd have thought contradiction wouldn't uh, you know would ever fall into the realms of the catholic church but what, what does it go on to say is it uh the organization considered the most respectable practitioners of a rite that is widely performed around the world was performed by the charismatic priest gabriel amorth in 1991 the 88-year-old whose favorite film is the exorcist has claimed to have expelled more than 150,000 evil spirits since completing his training nearly Three decades ago. I thought that was a huge number. I do, yeah. We go back to the fact that, you know, demons, if you're going... This is a biblical story. We're talking about Catholicism. So let's take the Bible as our primary source material. Demons are fallen angels. And God didn't make that many angels, intrinsically. So if half of them are fallen, you're not looking at that many. I mean, there needs to be a point where, you know... How, how 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 do they keep appearing? How do they keep manifesting? You know, surely over a period of time, you'd be whittling that number down, you know, unless you're suggesting that God's making more, perhaps. But that seems a very or high number. Or where do number. they go when you exercise them? Then they're gone into someone else? Or Yeah, I mean, ultimately, when I involve myself in practices like that with priests and do exorcisms and so forth, you know, they get destroyed. You know, we, we, we ask Archangel Michael to come and destroy them. You know, you don't want to send them back through the gates of Hades necessarily because you're giving them a chance to come back and have another go, aren't you? Mm. Is what you're doing. So I would I would agree with you. You'd probably want to destroy them, wouldn't you? It would be the best thing to do. Yep. But that does seem a ridiculous... Give me that number again. 150,000. I can't believe that. I will do some research and find out how many angels God actually created. I'm sure that must be mentioned somewhere. And then half of them are fallen. It's never going to be that many. I'm sure of that. There are more I'll, questions than answers, of course. I'll give you another paragraph that you'll have argument with. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Um, Amor's chief bugbear is the occult, which he says has infiltrated popular culture aided by the Internet, but also phenomena regarded as relatively innocuous, such as yoga and Harry Potter, <laughs> which he has said provide a gateway to full-on Satan worship. I, and people that follow Dungeons & Dragons, of course. Of course. I have got a story about Reiki coming up later in the show, and I'll address that then. But uh, why pick on Reiki? It's it's healing. I mean, I don't understand. You know, healing. Why pick on Harry Potter? Well, well you know. <laughs> yeah, Greg. Greg. Greg is obsessed with Harry Potter. He has every, he's sat next to me as we speak with his wand in his hand, and it's very awkward. But, um, you know, I'm going to shake it at you either. Yeah, well... <laughs> That is the least of my worries, unfortunately. <laughs> he put a spell on me. But yes, I, I find those numbers remarkable. And uh, leave Reiki alone. It's healing. It's helping people. Why would you denounce anything that's to do with healing people and making me uh, making others feel better? Seems very odd and very strange. But you shall have points for being interesting in this category. So you are now honorary resplendent I'm going to go back to ghosts here. It says Romanian woman claims ghost of her dead grandmother took a selfie on her phone to warn her she was being punished in the afterlife. The churches in Scotesti in southeastern Romania have been packed after a local woman claimed that her dead grandmother's ghost had taken over her mobile and used it to send a selfie from the other side. I find this remarkable because when my grandparents were alive, they couldn't even turn the television on. So I find it bizarre that a grandmother has the ability. I always found it remarkable in the 80s. You know, my grandparents and my parents can't even turn the telly on 
and operate a VCR. And there's Ronald Reagan sat there with a big red button next to him for full thermonuclear war. That always concerned me and worried me, I have to say. When I switched the phone on, I was horrified to see my dead grandmother's face, said Gina Mihai, 34. She had what looked like a snake around her neck, and the whole image looked as if it had been taken through a hole, like it was shot through a tear in the fabric that separates the living from the dead. Ever had a picture taken through a hole with a snake and a ripping some fabric, Greg? No. No, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I have. I took it to a fortune teller who told me that my grandmother was sending me a message from the other side. The snake around her neck was a symbol of the fact that she was being punished in the other life for some sins. By contacting us, she was telling us that we need to pray for her. We would still be able to save her soul. Miss Mahi and her family have been spending much of their time since praying in the church, along with dozens of other families terrified about the implications of a snake-wrapped ghost sending a message from the other side. My grandmother died three years ago and I haven't taken any food to her or at her grave. Well, she must be wasting away, mustn't she? I was making donuts at the time and didn't want to get the phone dirty, so I put it in my pocket. And when I took it out, there was an image on the phone, said Miss Mahi. The fortune teller told me that it was a mistake not to have paid tribute to her with an offering of food. And it was significant that she contacted me while I was cooking. I have taken donuts to the cemetery every day since. So donuts, apparently the universal offering to the dead, apparently. What food would raise you from the grave? I'm going to go with a curry. If someone brings me a curry, rests it on the dirt, my bony, emaciated hands will come through the soil and grab that naan bread. This is where we are. What would what would make you race from the grave? What offering would you like in terms of food, Heather? A steak. A steak. You want to go with a nice steak, Nathan? What would you? What pineapple. Would, pineapple. <laughs> pineapple would raise you from the dead, would it? Yeah. Well, what would a whole fruit salad do? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> to have you running around haunting people Kim what would what would I have to place on the fresh soil this is quite dark Any type actually. of a vegetable really mm-hmm. so I could just sit there and you know push my eggplant into the soil and you'd be happy yep. fantastic <laughs> Greg if, if people are just tuning in <laughs> Greg's beside himself what food would would raise you from the dead a big thick grilled steak Two of you. This is, I know we're in the Midwest of America, but uh, it's basically steak, fruit, vegetables, and a curry. So there we but go. But no fruit for Kim. No fruit for Kim, just vegetables. Just vegetables. I shall bear that in mind. She doesn't want the fruit. She just wants the vegetables. There we go. <laughs> we move into the round that is UFOs and cryptozoology. It's green men. It's hairy beasties. What have you got for me tonight in the round of UFOs and cryptozoology, Heather? Aldrin, first man on Mars, shouldn't come back. Is this Buzz Aldrin? Yes, it is. I tell you what, Greg's getting good on those pan pipes, isn't he? He's on brochure. He's really quite impressive. Buzz Aldrin has said the first people to land on Mars should never return to Earth. The second man to set foot on the moon was asked about the possibility of a permanent human presence on the Red Planet during an online question and answer session. He was asked specifically about SpaceX founder... Who believes people could visit Mars within a decade? It'll take him a decade. Why doesn't he want them to come back? I'm intrigued now. Um, Aldrin said, I have considered whether a landing on Mars could be done by a private sector. It conflicts with my very strong idea, concept, conviction that human beings 
to land on Mars should not come back to Earth. And he goes on further to say they should be the beginning of a buildup of a colony or settlement. I call it a permanence. So he wants the people to go there and just stay there and start building something instead of coming back and say, oh, we were there. Supposing you forgot your lunch. What then? You'd have to come back, wouldn't you? I forgot my lunch money. I'm going to have to go back. Sorry. (laughs) I forgot to bring spare socks. I can't, you know, my teddy bear. I go everywhere with that teddy bear. I'm going to have to go back. Five five year round trip. You know, you get there and you think, oh, no, I've I've left my teddy bear. He basically says it's too expensive to just... Do a round trip with them, so just send them there, and that's it. Well, this is what Britain did with its convicts to America and Australia, isn't it? This is this is where we are. We could just get. But a, they came back. A rocket ship. There was a very very good science fiction show back in the late nineteen seventies called Blake Seven, and uh, there was a penal colony spaceship that suddenly, you know, they 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 overthrew, you know, their guards and they took the ship, and then they went round the universe like Robin Hood. But it was a it was a a, a sense that you would send you know, rogue people, thieves and murderers and so forth, you know, onto other planets to start colonies in the same way that uh, a lot of countries did during the 19th and 18th century. So that has been suggested. But a one-way trip, that seems a bit... You'd get homesick, wouldn't you? Well, actually, they did a poll, and there would be no shortage of volunteers for a one-way trip to Mars. Um, Mars One, a non-profit organization hoping to create a settlement on Mars by 2023 received 200,000 applicants for volunteers to travel to the Red Planet and never come back. These are the same people that take up fishing and golf. You know, I find it remarkable. I have a few people I'd like to send there. (laughs) Well, a one-way trip. Yeah, we'll come and pick you up, no problem. Yeah, we'll be back in a couple of years. You'll be fine. There you go. You've got a tin of beans. You'll be fine. Just make make sure you spread them out over a prolonged period of time. One bean a day and you'll be fine. I actually, just to follow up, I very quickly, I had read a story that there is some republican in kentucky yep that- i'm happy to send him already <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of politics there that's satire <laughs> ladies and gentlemen he actually had said that he does not believe that there is any global warming because the atmosphere of mars hasn't changed that's a that's a vast global warming. <laughs> huh? Is that when you treat cats and dogs? I'm global not worming? joking. There's a story on. The well, net. I'm glad they're all up to date with current affairs. That makes me feel a whole lot better. As long as they don't have their finger on all those nuclear weapons. Oh yes, they do. Of course. <laughs> I've got a story here on cryptozoology. We don't often get stories about new mushrooms being found. It says mycologists Bryn Denchinger and Laura Martin Suez have discovered three species of mushroom that are new to science in a commercial packet of dried Chinese porcini purchased from a shop in London. What is that? Porcini mushrooms. Well, or a shop in London. A shop in London is like a big capital city and there's a building of a door and you go in and buy I'm stuff. I'm going to come across the table, I swear to God. Minus three. <laughs> we won't be taking threats lately. <laughs> no, Bullying will not win you points. What part of that do you not understand so far? What's the patchouli or whatever it is? A porcini mushroom. It's a type of mushroom. Okay. It's just a make of mushroom. Did you know, Kim? Nope. See, I was the only one. It's not my fault you're lacking in mycology knowledge, is it? I mean, you know, you you, you take away what you bring to the table, don't you? Is where we are. I was going to ask Greg to find a a noise for a mushroom, but he's let me down. (laughs) No, that's (laughs) not... (laughs) 
Hallucinogenic mushrooms or what? Hallucinogenic <laughs> mushrooms. Any noise will do. The doors. Let's play some doors in the background. It says Pacini mushrooms are one of the most traded wild edible mushrooms. But although relatively well known, recent research has shown that they are more diverse than previously thought. China is a major exporter of porcini, mainly to Europe, but reliable identification of wild collected porcini can be difficult, especially from under-documented regions. Although it had been shown previously that unknown species were entering the porcini trade, even the mycologists were surprised when they used DNA sequencing methods to identify 15 mushroom pieces from the commercial packet and found they all belonged to three diagnosable species, none of which had scientific names. So this leads us to the fact there's three species of mushroom never ever been documented before in a normal packet of mushrooms shipped into Britain from China. So we now have the opportunity to name three mushrooms. We can call them anything we want. Death-capped Heather. The spongy Kim. We could have uh, the red-spotted Greg, of course. So if we... If any ideas for mushrooms, we could... Fred. Fred. We're going to call one of the mushrooms Fred. That's very informal, isn't it? What's the other one called? Velma? or Shaggy? Well, but that gives you, you know, how do you name these things? You have three mushrooms that you can now name. So they're very lucky people indeed. It says the finding demonstrates the ubiquity of unknown fungal diversity. Um, should they look under a teenager's bed, I would suggest they may find a few more. <laughs> Even in trading products and the recognition of these species will enable better regulations to improve food safety and enable countries to adhere to international agreements on the exploitation of wild species so a society for the prevention of cruelty towards mushrooms no doubt i've been to the new forest on many many occasions it's a fabulous forest on the south coast of england and it's almost prehistoric you're walking through this forest and it's almost jurassic in look and they have wild horses running uh, running through and i've been there many times in the fall and they have got the most amazing collection of mushrooms and toadstools do you know you see those famous stereotypical toadstools that are bright red with white dots on they're called the fly agaric mushroom and they're called that because back in the day they used the toxins from that to uh, make fly paper in the victorian period and they still don't know with modern technology and everything to i do thought with... they used arsenic to make the fly paper well i'll have to do more research i'm obviously lacking in my knowledge of fly paper but they're called fly agaric mushrooms because originally that poison was used in fly paper and to kill flies so you may be right i'm sure they used other poisons as well the poor flies never stood a chance but <laughs> what i used to do I, on one occasion i used to touch the mushrooms because i'd feel them and i'd take photographs of them and on one occasion you know i had my mushroom finger and i was touching the mushroom but 20 minutes later my bottom was itchy and i scratched my bottom um i spent the rest of the afternoon walking with a lisp which was rather unfortunate <laughs> um, <laughs> So, new species of mushroom found in a, in a packet of, uh, of mushrooms. Quite remarkable. Kim, what have you got for me tonight in the round of cryptozoology, UFOs, green men, hairy beasties, mushrooms? Mystery flying object like something out of a horror film. UFO reports above villages near Godalming described it as looking similar to two dementors from Harry Potter flying towards spooked eyewitnesses harry potter again it's yes you're getting picked on this is god all mean i believe is that right yes god help me god, god help me well, i was yeah. trying to pronounce it god all mean god, god all mean i'm guessing okay yeah it's in britain isn't it yes yeah god all mean yeah 
Just days before World UFO Day on Wednesday, July 2nd, police were called to a sighting in the Surrey countryside with gobsmacked villagers reporting it as like something out of a horror film. Several reports were made to Surrey police of a black unidentified flying object above the Hascombe and Bromley area on Saturday. Police said the reports varied from the possibility of a hot air balloon crashing to a large piece of sheeting flying through the air. That's very, um, a lot of things have got to fall into place for that scenario to take place and happen, haven't they? That's very, yes, we were flying a kite and then it hit a power line and then it morphed into this and then it did that and it's very strange. Swamp gas. Swamp gas. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. Was that Taco Bell? (laughs) You shall have minus two points for uh, this. This is an airtight studio and uh, there's nowhere to run, is there? Nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide from Heather Swamp Gas. Wow. So these looked organic. It didn't look like a UFO as such. Some of the comments made was it was contorting and coming in and out of the clouds. Yeah, well, I've been in that restroom. (laughs) We had absolutely no idea what it was. It was like something out of a horror film. Yeah, I've been in that restroom. We watched it for about five minutes, and it just started plummeting. And that's your bathroom. I've been in that bathroom. (laughs) We thought it may have fallen from a plane. Yep, I've been on that plane. (laughs) We didn't want to get too close to it because we thought something might leap out of it. (laughs) My mom said if I had nothing nice to say. All of these things can be followed with the phrase, in the restroom. Yes. Uh Read them again, and I'll say in the restroom. Quickly, go for it. It was contorting and coming in and out of the clouds. In the restroom. We had absolutely no idea what it was. It was like something out of a horror film. In the restroom. We watched it for about five minutes. <laughs> and then it just started plummeting. In the restroom. We thought it may have fallen from a plane. In the restroom. I didn't want to get too close because I saw, thought something might leap out of it. In the restroom. <laughs> Greg, you can put your pants on now. That's outrageous. As Points. it turns out, it was agricultural netting. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff just wasted two minutes of my life no no high fives when I'm on my deathbed god forbid when I'm on my deathbed and I'm lying there with my death rattle in the last throes of me living on this planet I'll be sat there thinking I lost two minutes because Kim read a story that ended up being agricultural netting <laughs> Somebody somewhere in Surrey is having birds eating at their strawberries as we speak. We've all gone to hell in a handbasket. I've got a story here on cryptozoology. We're going to go to strange animals. It says Uganda. Police officer shoots aggressive tortoise. A police officer in Uganda has reportedly shot a tortoise dead after being attacked by the aggressive creature i wonder if he took him by surprise and uh, took two hours to creep up to him what do you think <laughs> the incident happened in the nebi district in the north of the country near the congolese border the officer named as charles onigu said the animal entered his home and attacked him while he was enjoying a nice cup of tea well there's nothing worse is there than being interrupted during a nice cup of tea i tried to scare it but the tortoise became very aggressive i took a stick to chase it but instead it became more violent he told the paper after attempting to fend off the tortoise with a plastic chair. This is like wild tortoise training. Imagine you're going to the circus, you know, and you're sat there with your circus peanuts, you know, your soda, and there's all these wild tortoises, you know, on little stalls, and there's a guy with a chair and a whip, and all these tortoises, and they have to feed the tortoise lettuce. Before the show starts, they have to feed the tortoise lettuce so it doesn't eat anyone during the production and the show. You know, they keep them well fed. 
You know, they starve them, then keep them well fed. <laughs> Dandelion, strawberries, cucumber and lettuce before the show starts. And there's no danger of being eaten, of course. I find that bizarre. Can you imagine fending off a tortoise with a chair? You know, your arm would go dead as you're waiting for it to attack again, wouldn't it? I just find that. He said he instinctively drew his firearm and shot it dead. A local Christian group later prayed for Anugu before burning the dead reptile's ashes. I, I just think, what if the tortoise was cutting through his house to, to, to see if he could beat the hare? You know, just it was a shortcut. <laughs> the guy's in the way. The hare, you can see the hare running around, you know, the road. He thinks, I'll nip through the house, take the shortcut. I'll get there before the hare. There's a policeman drinking his tea. Before you know it, he's been shot. It's you a terrible what, statement. You know what that reminds me of? That he was now, what, scared what, what, of the tortoise. tortoise shooting story, yes. <laughs> That's like the slow zombies Yes, that kind of just... Kind of creep up to you. Like the like stumbling out of Taco Bell after the all-you-can-eat buffet, groaning and staggering from side to They're side. They're not going to run, but everybody's scared and screaming. I like the idea that he's screaming, holding a chair, and you see the tortoise, you know, 30 yards away, slowly, you know. It's like the idea that you know your mother told you to wear clean underwear in case you had this a road traffic accident. This can't be true. This isn't true. No, is my it? mother did tell me to wear clean underwear. What do you mean? <laughs> Did your mother? Am I the only person whose mother said to them, you know, you must wear clean underwear in yeah. case you have an accident? Of course, if yeah. you get hit by a bus, what's the first thing to suffer is your underwear, isn't it? I mean, you know, you or just be, don't wear any. Well, you go commando. That could be a problem as you're lying. I like the idea that you could get hit by a car and someone says, you know, is there an aromatherapist nearby? And you could just appear with some lavender oil and the guy's got a compound fracture of the left leg. Why do you have to have clear underwear when you go into have an accident anyway? Because they have to cut clothes off of you if you have broken if legs. If I'm going to have an accident, the odds are real good. I probably... Going to saw your underwear. That's right. Well, I like the idea. If you're, This is what it reminds me of, okay? Your mum says to you, you need to wear clean underwear in case you have an accident. You're standing in, in the middle of the road. There's a steamroller slowly edging towards you at five miles an hour it's 20 yards you've away. been watching looney tunes again you know you take you? your trousers down put your clean underwear on put your trousers on just in time for the steamroller to hit you but it's the same thing it's the same thing with the tortoise he's got time you know the tortoise is slowly coming towards him looking very aggressive got a glint in his eye you know you can see he's slightly maniacal you know he's obviously been drinking and uh, the tortoise is slowly coming to you've got time to go to the bathroom change your underwear come back and then the tortoise goes for you but he could have been holding a chair for half an hour and screaming as that tortoise made his way towards him. If he was being stalked by a tortoise, you know, and every now and then you turn around and the tortoise goes in its shell, you'd spend the whole time thinking you was being followed by a pot pie. You could go to bed at night having a neurosis that you're being followed by a pot pie. And then I'm now thinking of the Monty... What? He was very shy. He never came out of his shell. Well, he got shot, unfortunately. So uh, there's a moral in there somewhere, but for the life of me, I can't find it. I like the idea of the killer rabbit from monty python and you've got a tortoise hair today gone tomorrow there you go minus three for kim um you're now on zero the, the killer tortoise you know going from throat to throat quite a remarkable story but that is true ladies and gentlemen it happened in uganda and i i feel sorry for the tortoise's family you know when's yeah. daddy coming home well i don't know he went he went down the shops That's a to buy a bad sci-fi movie is what that is attack of the killer tortoise i'm sure it's something <laughs> yes. that sandra bullock is working on as oh. we speak <laughs> i'm sorry sorry <sighs> sandra stay with me for more yes because she's listening of course stay with me for more of the same for god forbid after these short messages 
from our sponsors. The Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group meets bi-monthly to discuss all things paranormal. The group's primary focus is on the topic of UFOs, but they also delve into alien abductions, cryptozoology, Bigfoot, killer tortoises, crop circles and ghosts. Come with an open mind and be prepared to discover the who, what, when, where, why and how of these phenomena. Meetings are from 7 to 9pm Central Time in the Banquet Room of the American Legion Club in Wake Park, Minnesota. For more information, visit their website, lapig.org. For people who believe that standing in a cold, dark basement, fending off a tortoise with a chair for hours on end is perfectly normal. The Minnesota chapter of the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, meets the second Saturday of every month at the New Brighton Community Centre, New Brighton, Minnesota. Meetings are from 2 to 5 p.m. Central and include investigation reports, open mic, book reviews, eating magic mushrooms, videos and guest speakers. Anyone with an interest in UFOs is welcome to attend. For anyone who's experienced a UFO sighting or knows someone who has, this is the place to be. Meeting agendas, driving directions and tons of UFO information can be found at mnmufon.org. In the lyrics and the words of the reggae legend that is Johnny Nash, there are indeed more questions than answers. And the more I find out, the less I know, which means I'm probably less intelligent than when the show started. I am your host, Adrian Lee, famous for being banned in Lithuania, for introducing the world to dirty hobo water, and sometimes, only sometimes, the annoying inability to say abominable snowman live on air welcome back for the second part of tonight's show if you've just joined us then where have you been and what could have been more important if you've stayed with me then let me raise your spirits further by saying we still have 50 percent of the show still left to go hurrah and a happy dance around the bedroom high fives all around i've been handed a fresh cup of tea and the promise of cookies i have fresh flashlight batteries and my mother has now stopped snoring from the room next door, so onwards we march. Let's have a quick look at the scores. Greg is on two tonight for his rendition of the Pan Pipes and for playing the Ghostbusters theme tune. I am on three, Heather is on three, and Kim is now back to zero. You are listening to the very <laughs> best in live paranormal digital radio with your host Adrian Lee, and we are now in the round of the strange and the bizarre. The stories from around the week that don't fit into any other category but we can't miss them because they are so fabulous heather what have you got tonight in the round of the strange and the bizarre hot dog kills man taking part in eating competition in the u.s oh was that a gulp then fabulous (laughs) there's two hot dogs down already yeah what was the hot dog angry with him Let's all go the to the lobby. The angry hot dog, really? The angry hot dog. Uh, I refuse to eat a hot dog with a vein in it. I'm sorry. I just can't oh. do it. You see them revolving there in the holiday gas station, looking all angry and annoyed and slightly perplexed. And uh, You had a bad hot dog once, didn't you? I've had many bad hot dogs, yes. Oh, I had a one particular one in Redwood Falls, if I remember it oh, correctly. yes. I thought this was a good idea. I want to embrace American culture while I'm here. You know, so I'm driving through Redwood Falls and there you have the stereotypical archetypal hot dog van. It was silver and it was aerodynamic. There's a line outside the hot dog van. So I'm thinking, well, it must be good food. Everywhere I've gone in the world, you watch what the locals eat. If there's a line, if there's a queue, then obviously that normally is a sense that there's good food. So I'm standing there. There's a chalkboard with every type of hot dog available. There's one 
called the Second Amendment because it's fully loaded. I didn't know whether to get the uh, chili cheese one or there's all different types, isn't there? There's a whole <laughs> list of them. The fully loaded, the Second Amendment, it's called, has everything on it. Everything. Somewhere nestling at the bottom of a pile of sauerkraut and chili and cheese and peppers, there's a little naked sausage just, you know, under a whole blanket, you know, of food. And I decided to get this hot dog. And uh, needless to say, you know, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. And it wasn't too long <laughs> before I was reinserting my lower intestinal tract with a shoehorn. And it's a very lonely place when you've got the sweats after eating a, a fully loaded hot dog so be warned you do not have to eat everything that is on the menu thank you for bringing that up I, I had lots of therapy and counseling and i i can't look a hot dog in the eye anymore greg <laughs> can you can you look a hot dog in the eye are you, oh. you snap your <laughs> i'm pleased to hear that so where are we going this killed him did it what did he do strangle him if you would, jump out at him at night if you would ever suspect it but by the looks of it hot dogs can sometimes prove deadly especially when one tries to gulp them, down, gulp them down without taking the time to give them a proper chewing first. Well, they, they, everything, I suggest, you know, you can't swallow a hot dog whole, can you? Well, if you can, I'd marry you, but, you know, ultimately, <laughs> um, two for the price of one. Um, yes, you do need to chew your food, yes. Um, if you swallow a hot dog whole, it hurts twice. Oh. Yeah, just saying. Hold the bun still, I'm just hovering. <laughs> Not to beat about the bush, but word has it a 47-year-old man in the United States passed away just a few days ago after trying to swallow a hot dog whole and finding that the treat was too much for his throat to handle. According to the Mirror, the incident occurred in the city of Custer in South Dakota sometime over the 4th of July weekend. The man, identified as Walter Eagletail, was taking part in the eating contest at the time when he passed away. Apparently, such competitions are organized in Custer, South Dakota on a regular basis. More often than not, those who are brave enough to take part in them get to walk away with nothing but one really full belly. The 47-year-old Walter Eagletail, however, was not as lucky. Long story short, word has it that while attempting to win the eating contest, he made a dreadful mistake that eventually cost him his life. Did he win? No, I'm just saying, you know, I, I, I was I saw once a holding your breath competition and we had to wake the winner up. Um, but yeah, no, I, there was that was in bad taste. Uh. <laughs> so was that I saw at the weekend a hot dog eating competition on ESPN. So I'm watching, you know, World Cup soccer. The soccer goes off. The telly stays on. I walk back into the room. They've got televised hot dog eating with slow motion replays there's graphics like you'd get in a football game mm-hmm. i find that i thought the whole thing was a joke i thought it was like blades of glory or something don't they that train for fight. that or something too yeah and then they had like a model where they show how many hot dogs can be squeezed into a stomach and they had this anatomically correct model and they had all the graphics going and this reminds me of call hand luke which is one of my all-time favorite films where Paul Newman had to eat, I think he took a bet in prison, that he had to eat 100 pickled eggs in an hour, I believe. But they did experiments on Mythbusters. You can't actually eat 100 eggs in an hour. It's an impossibility. They showed the human body and how much the stomach holds and so forth. And uh, But it was remarkable. The guy swallowed 60-odd hot dogs in 10 minutes to win With that With a prize. bun, wasn't it? Yeah, and he won $15,000 for that. 
And the guy wasn't that big. The woman who won the women's contest <laughs> was like five foot one and she was a small Asian woman. You know, when I say, you know, you've won a hot dog eating competition, you expect someone who weighs 400 pounds and this small slight Asian lady turns up and just demolishes a plate of hot dogs was, was quite remarkable. And it was a turn on, wasn't it? Well, I did record it, and it's, it has been my go-to place now for the last two days. So uh, I thank her, and if I ever see her, I will shake her warmly by the throat. No, by the hand. <laughs> I've got a story under Strange and Bizarre. Going back to Kim's earlier story about Harry Potter and healing, this says priest tells congregation not to practice yoga, claiming it will risk their soul. A parish priest has been called ignorant after telling his parishioners they should not practice yoga well that could leave some people in a very difficult position couldn't it oh. <laughs> Don- <laughs> county donegal priest father o'boyle made his comments in the weekly issue of the parish newsletter father o'boyle who is the local parish priest described yoga and other disciplines such as tai chi and reiki as contemptible he wrote as followers of jesus christ we should not partake in deeds that go against our religion accordingly you should not take part in yoga tai chi or Reiki. So followers, followers of Christ, it's saying, shouldn't participate in healing. I was under the impression that most of the Bible, as your primary source material, was concerned with the idea of, of healing. And Ursu, who is the Japanese gentleman that invented Reiki back in the day, the sole reason he discovered Reiki and he started to work with the concept of universe and Reiki healing was that he was a teacher in Japan and one of his students said to him in a lesson how did Jesus manage to heal people and he didn't have an answer so he left the teaching profession dedicated his life to trying to find out how Jesus healed people and that's how Reiki started so when this priest steps forward and says that Reiki is contemptible and uh, has no place in the Christian church it's healing that the very catalyst of that process was a student asking a teacher how Jesus Christ managed to heal people. I find it remarkable. Whatever religion you are, Buddhist, Muslim, Jewish, Catholic, if you're healing people and you're making people feel better, where's the downside of that? How comes negativity gets brought into that? He says, do not put your soul in jeopardy for the sake of these contemptible things. However, a leading yoga teacher in Donegal said Father O'Boyle's stance and advice to his parishioners was ignorant. Sean O'Tuthalane, who runs the yoga centre, said he would love to meet Father O'Boyle to understand why he is urging people not to take part in yoga. I have to say that this advice appears to me to be coming from a position of ignorance. Going back to the Bible as well, um, Jesus said to 72 of his disciples to go to Judea and heal in his name. So Jesus has actually given mankind the ability and the powers to heal. He's given that to man to go forth and heal his fellow man. And Corinthians, of course, written by Paul, goes on to say that God bestows the gift of healing and prophecy on mankind. And it's up to mankind to go forward and heal his fellow man. And this should not be questioned. So I don't know what book this gentleman's reading. It's certainly not the book that I have read but it's very controversial and several stories that have come up in tonight's show who else has a story for me in the round of the strange and the bizarre Kim you need some points at this stage because you are on a fabulously round no corner zero at this point in time men throw out one million dollar winning ticket and then sue the lottery Ooh, that reminds me of the uh, Pink Floyd album. Do you remember yes. Money by Pink Floyd starts with the cash register, doesn't it? I'm showing my age now, aren't I? <laughs> 
Uh, Salvatore Cambria and Eric Anyango of Suffern, a village in New York. Who? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are here to teach us one very important lesson about how to navigate life's ups and downs. Here's what this lesson is. When at fault, blame others. Better yet, get a lawyer and drag them to court. There you go. There's money to be made there. More high fives. <laughs> Heather just slapped the attorney on the head, by the way. Uh, media reports say that these two men are now suing the New Jersey Lottery on the grounds that it took too long to update its website and that this ended up costing them a whopping $1 million. According to Sky News, it was only a few weeks ago on March 23rd that Salvatore Cambria and Eric Anyango visited a local 7-Eleven and got three tickets for drawing on the, for that drawing on the very same day. Upon returning home later, that cursed March 23rd, they uh, Eric asked Salvatore to visit the New Jersey Lottery website and check to see what the day's winning numbers had been. Salvatore Cambria is not one to say no to his friend, especially not when cold hard cash is involved, and did just that. Specifically, he logged onto the lottery's website very soon after the 11 p.m. drawing, the two men explained. However, the numbers that were then shown online did not coincide with the numbers on the two men's tickets. Hence, Salvatore did what anybody else would have done and threw the ticket away. It is now somewhere in the garbage in Canada. How can they... I'm guessing they can't prove that then, can they? How do they know what um, numbers they had? The two tickets, that they, for whatever reason, he only threw away the one ticket. Oh, they still have the other two tickets, and the serial numbers on it show supposedly that they would have had that third ticket. I wonder where that's going to go. Ultimately, they could sue them for that. There have been cases in Britain where a person has lost their ticket and they were due to win millions, and the lottery, out of goodwill, has actually given them the money, even though they can't provide the ticket because they had proof that they had purchased that ticket, obviously, when they went to the computer to do that in the shop so there have been cases where the lottery has kindly given those out because the whole thing runs on goodwill to a certain degree if people think you know that they've got a chance of winning even if they don't check the numbers or they throw their ticket away then more people would be inclined to play i guess it's about having a a product that's uh, in the eyes of the public you know a good product i would suggest so we'll have to keep an eye on that and see where that goes they could have put their money of course towards buying a solar powered donkey in the round of the strange and the bizarre story says solar powered donkeys used as mobile chargers in turkey village herdsmen in turkey wow that's the last time i go to taco bell village herdsmen in turkey have developed a novel way of remaining connected i wonder if he was having a tail pinned on it at the time because i would imagine that would be quite painful village herdsmen in turkey have developed a novel way of remaining connected to the internet strapping solar panels to the backs of donkeys and using them as mobile charging points i've seen a picture of this before i even go on i've seen a picture of this there's a donkey with a 12 foot solar panel strapped to its back one good gust of wind and it's over the hills and far away you could be sat in your living room you look out of the window there's a donkey going by in the sky a flying donkey just it looks like it's got wings it's like an aeroplane with a donkey underneath but they want to use their mobile phones in the desert but they don't have any chargers so they've got donkeys with them you're in the desert you go to your local donkey plug your phone in and you're up and running is where you have to go to a donkey point and plug it in is where we are he says the panel can produce five to seven kilowatts of energy and enable the farmers to stay online on long arduous journeys i want to know why turkish herdsmen 
are wanting to access uh, the internet. I wonder if there's a eHarmony site for sheep, perhaps. Review you know? that one more time for me. Which part? They, this is like a portable power source to them. Is that why the yes. donkey's carrying yes, it around? Yes, there's, there's a donkey with a solar panel on its back. And when you need to charge your phone, you go up to the donkey and you plug I don't your, want to know where you plug it and in. And you plug your phone in. <laughs> It's where the remote for the TV controller's gone. Every time the donkey scratches its ass, the TV turns over. And next door's garage doors are going up and down. It's, uh, you know, I find if there's an eHarmony site that, that herdsmen in the lonely... Let's face it, it's lonely. sheep. Say that again. <laughs> eHarmony for sheep. Dolly likes long walks, socialising and chewing grass, no less. If the farmers are curious about the latest news, need for entertainment or get lonely, I'm sure there's a lot of sheep can sleep easier at night if a herdsman are now accessing the internet um, can plug their laptop or phone chargers into a solar powered transporting donkey and get updates from their favourite websites, stream programmes or chat with their friends on social media. In the birthing season the panels can also help to generate extra light if necessary panel producer Sir Gunn is behind the plug and play project uh, when was the last time you embraced plug and play Kim, is that something we've done recently? No. No. Each device costs $1,320 a piece. So if you wish to charge your phone in Turkey, in the desert, in the Black Mountains, then a portable... That doesn't include the cost of the donkey, right? No, that's just for the... The, the donkey's going to be peanuts compared to a solar panel. I'm just saying. <laughs> Can you imagine you've got a whole row of donkeys and there's two donkeys talking with one another saying, poor old Pedro's got the short end of the pineapple there, isn't he? Look, we've got, you know, we're carrying supplies. He's over there with the solar panel on his back. That's the most popular donkey, though, isn't it? That's the go-to donkey. You know, all the other donkeys are now getting ignored because Pedro's got a solar panel. And he would be in the shade all the time, though. This could be a problem. Yes, yeah. all the other donkeys are sat in the shade and poor Pedro's chained out there in the full sun. Be or terrible. maybe, no, Pedro's being shaded by the solar panel. Ah, I see what you're saying. It's that large that it's created yeah. its own shadow. I've obviously not thought this through and no, I haven't no, done yeah. the research. So uh, <laughs> are we saying it's a good thing that Pedro gets the solar panel or a bad thing? Show of hands, is it a good thing that Pedro's got a solar panel? That's three. Is it a bad thing? Two. Three to two. It's a good thing that Pedro has his solar panel <laughs> and the other donkeys don't. So you cannot say that this show isn't an informative and on the cutting edge of world paranormal news. We enter the round, kicking and screaming and making strange braying noises with a tortoise under our arm and a magnum in the other hand. And we go into the round that is not for your mother. The round where there's innuendo, there's sexual content, there's stories that we can't mention. Are we keeping you awake, Heather? I'm yes. sorry, you're, you're, you're drifting away there. I'll give you a, a nudge when your story comes on. Excellent. And uh, you need to take your mother out of the room. Any small children, anyone who's easily offended, needs to be tied up with a tortoise, I guess, nibbling at them with a, with a chair <laughs> and, and a donkey in the sun somewhere in <laughs> Turkey. So, Kim, what have you got for me tonight? In the round of Not For Your Mother, you are on five currently, and you are three behind Heather. So if your story is interesting, if it has horror or it has me laughing, then you shall run into the lead. Groom asks his wife for a divorce on their wedding night. <laughs> That's horror. <laughs> there we go. It didn't last longer than Monday, did it, to be honest? <laughs> it sometimes happens that marriages crash and burn. Still, one would expect that, all things considered, a couple will try and stay married for at least a month before deciding to go their separate ways. What did he ask for on his wedding night, for Christ's sake? What was on the menu? What did he, what did he suggest? It was could, you, could you dress up fault. in my dead mother's clothing? <laughs> oh, I see where we are. 
Okay, it was her yes, fault. Yes, he didn't do anything. He re- well, I'll, re- I'll okay. Read you don't, don't give us any clues. Let's... As it turns out, such assumptions have very little to do with real life. On the contrary, every once in a while, till death do us part, might only mean for the next couple of hours or so. He tried to kill her. <laughs> Long story short, media reports say that just days ago, a groom asked his wife for a divorce on their wedding night. What's more, word has it, the two had tied the knot only a few hours before the man demanded that they be separated. If she's tied a knot in it, no wonder he's got problems. (laughs) Was she some sort of balloon animal maker? Can you imagine? That would be terrible. I always imagine that, you know, if you break your leg and have a compound fracture below the knee, you know, someone who makes balloon animals for a living could just jump in there and everyone would jump back in shock and horror and you look down and you've got a giraffe where your leg used to be. Because he's like, really, you know, but a few mercurial moves, and suddenly there you go. You've got a you've got a sausage dog where your leg used to be. Just be aware that if you get knocked down by a car and you have a compound fracture of your leg below the knee, don't ask a balloon modeler to have a look at it, or an aromatherapist for that matter. You need a proper proper doctor is what's required at that point. I'm going to jump into the middle of the story here. The groom decided that he had no choice left but to divorce his wife after being handed a memory stick that had compromising photos of his spouse stored on it. The memory stick was delivered by, to the husband by the woman's former lover. I thought he was going to oh. say by the woman's father. No. Wow. Uh, word has it that the memory stick reached the husband concealed in a bouquet delivered to the couple's wedding. Well, that was very wow. kind of them, wasn't it? Why yes. not wait till they finish getting married and then deliver the bad news? Yes. Uh, evidently, the former lover was upset. He tried to blackmail the woman into staying with him. She said no, so he decided to send a memory stick and the flowers. Where is this? Where is this taking... Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia? God, yep. I thought you was going to say Alabama or somewhere. Wow. You can get your hands cut off for less than that. Yeah, That's isn't remarkable. that like death or something? Yeah, it's not a good. I mean, you can't, you know, it's, uh, you know, you, I just find that bizarre. The way I'm they, almost lost for words. Uh, the way they described the groom afterwards, this is a quote. The groom came to see me the next day and he was under strong emotional trauma. It was truly the shock of his life and he could not bear the scandal. Wow. Ooh. Surely you could get an annulment. I mean, if you haven't done the business, do you know what I'm saying? That, that's not I wondered legal. the same thing. And yeah, I wasn't that's... sure in Saudi Arabia if they have yeah, annulments. I don't, I don't know what their laws are, but uh, yeah, certainly in America, I think you could probably get an annulment for that because uh, you know the marriage hasn't been, uh, you know, what's the word? I'm Consummated? Consummated? Yes, constipated. You're right, yes. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm going to jump in here. It says... Uh, Owner all shook up. See what I've done there? Owner all shook up after Elvis Scarecrow is stolen from a home near Exeter. The owner of an Elvis Scarecrow was left all shook up after he was stolen from their property at Starcross. The straw man dressed as the king was snatched overnight from a garden in Well Street. It was part of the village's Scarecrow Festival. If If you've got a fear of scarecrows, this isn't the place to be, is it? A Scarecrow Festival. I've actually seen scarecrow festivals in Britain. You drive through a village... And every garden and every yard has a scarecrow in it. It's quite creepy, actually. Am I the only one who thinks scarecrows are creepy? No, they're creepy. That was a villain, wasn't it, in Batman as well, I believe. So it has been used, you know, as, as, a, as a very dark uh, character in many respects. It was part of the village's scarecrow festival, which is now in its 10th year and was organised in the aid of Children's Hospice Southwest. Karen Seaton made the scarecrow as her husband David is an Elvis fan. It took a couple of days to put together, she said. My husband has a room full of Elvis memorabilia and I cut up a canvas to make his face. My husband wasn't very happy, she says. What we're most annoyed about, though, is that the event is for charity. If the person had come to us and asked for the suit it was wearing, I would have probably given it to them. But instead they stole the whole scarecrow, just leaving 
his boots behind. I guess that would be his blue straw shoes, I suspect. This will be the first and last time I enter the festival, she says. The owner went looking for him, but only found one glove near the park by the bowls club, she said. Stolen by the ghost of Michael Jackson, no less. (laughs) So obviously this scarecrow was outstanding in his field, of course. Did she win a prize? um, I don't believe so. What does one actually do when Elvis has indeed left the building? I wonder if she actually made the model in his jailhouse rock years or his Las Vegas years, because that would have been the difference between two or three bowels of hay, no less. One of the things I was interested in, (laughs) guess how old, this point's at stake here, and uh, Kim, you know, you're currently in a tie with Heather here for the lead. I just thought I'd mention that, just to give you a bit more spice to this question. Guess how old... Elvis Presley was when he died. 56. 52. I was going to say 56. Oh, okay. Okay. So whenever I ask a question, you two are like telepathic and both get the wrong answer at the same time. (laughs) Greg, how old was Elvis when he died? 45. Nathan, would you like to have... 47. I was amazed to discover, and this makes me feel old, that Elvis Presley was 42 when he died. I'm currently 44. I, f- I find that remarkable. I, 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 to think that Elvis died two years ago in terms of my lifetime, you know, is quite bizarre. I would never have thought he was that young. I always considered him to perhaps be a bit older when he died. He was very it's... aged looking, wasn't he? Uh-huh, yeah. Ju- uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> <During> his... <laughs> You're absolutely right. He did have rather too many fried peanut butter sandwiches. Who has a story left for me tonight in the round? Not for you. You have two. Do you have any more, Kim? Nope. Wow. Heather could gallop into an unprecedented lead here on the back of the two stories that she has for us tonight. Fish odor syndrome is a real condition and makes people smell like bad fish. (laughs) (laughs) Who on earth records the sound of a submarine dive horn? How is that? Where do you go to get that? You're standing there with a tape recorder, you know, on a submarine. Did you know that a submarine is a boat? Every other vessel on the sea is a ship. The only thing that can be called a boat is a submarine. Did you know that? No. I'm going to give myself a point for being interesting. That now takes me up to (laughs) nine. See what we're doing here? I'm getting points off of your story. I know. I see how that works. Why did we just use a submarine dive horn for a woman who smells of fish? Because it's water and Oh, okay, fish. that's tenuous. All right, I thought there was something clever about it. It turns out there wasn't. My mistake. Do carry on. Use your imagination. I have to. <laughs> Singer Cassie Graves of South London has been living with a very rare medical condition for years. This condition is officially known as fish odor syndrome. This is because as a result of metabolic imbalances folks diagnosed with this peculiar disorder more often than not smell like bad fish like a bag of old mussels Uh, they release the smell regardless of how many baths they take or how much perfume they put on you know when you go to the food market and there's rotting fish what you you don't have to keep on i get the picture it's i'm this is a quote from her oh okay well she's a very (laughs) brave woman yes and she says that's what i smell like the whiff comes out from my skin and hair I sweat it out, and it doesn't matter how many showers I take, I can't get rid of it. I had a friend like that. I had a friend who worked at Billingsgate Fish Market in London. He was up at the crack of two o'clock in the morning, you know, packing fish and 
you know, distributing fish all over London at Billingsgate Fish Market, which is an amazing place to go. He smelt of fish constantly. He said no matter how many times he scrubbed or showered, everything, his house smelt of fish, he smelt of fish, his car smelt of fish, everything smelt of fish because he was packing fish all day long at Billingsgate Fish Market. His name's Wayne. If you're out there listening, Wayne, then uh, thank you for all the lifts you gave me when I was 19 to soccer matches. I much appreciate that, despite Um, the smell of fish. (laughs) She actually goes on to say that there were times that she had smelt so badly of fish when she was a kid that her mom kept her home from school because she didn't want to have her get bullied. So that's a school of fish then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, I've made double figures. Uh, Cassie says that although she is very careful about her diet, because that does play a big role in it, it sometimes happens that she slips up. Thus, it once happened that... Whoops, I've swallowed a crab finger. (laughs) That while enjoying a quiet Valentine's Day meal with her boyfriend... Oysters. She had some seafood and smelled like rotting fish for the rest of the evening. I don't like oysters. Oysters is like licking phlegm off of a tortoise. I'm not having that. Disgusting. Uh, Oysters are delicious. Well, that was interesting. And there was elements of horror involved. So you should get a point for that. So you're now on nine. I'm on ten. Heather, you're on nine. Kim is on eight. You're going to love this. Well, this point's to be taken away, no doubt. Ready? I was born ready. Go for it. Paper bag speed dating means you have no idea who you're romancing. Yep, you're not looking at the mantelpiece when you're poking the fire. (laughs) Except for those who are happily married or in a committed relationship, folks are all too familiar with the fact that dating scene is a mess. Interesting enough, word has it that those hoping to find romance should first take some time to stick their head inside a paper bag. Stick their what? Their head inside a paper bag. (laughs) <laughs> is that anatomically possible? Yes. So it's a speed dating <laughs> with, with a paper bag on your head? Over your head. Yes. That's very bizarre. Not to beat about the bush, Media Report tells us that there is a new dating trend in town and that this latest fad is well worthy of being labeled as downright bizarre and utterly brilliant at the same time. This is just a concept to get ugly women dates, ultimately, isn't it? <laughs> what makes you think it's the woman that's ugly? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I'm just speaking from a male perspective, that's all. I, I realise uh, that I... I uh, uh, go on then, you're itching to spit it out. No, I'm not. I, I think you should carry on with your story. All right. In a nutshell, the dating trend that is now making headlines boils down to making people go on speed dates while wearing a paper bag over their head. As noticeable, um, the paper bag conceals everything but the eyes and the mouth. To be fair, if they weigh 400 pounds and smell of fish, it doesn't matter if they've got a bag on their head, does it? Oh, they're you see what I'm to, saying? It's an irrelevance They're trying point. to get people to date other people on personality alone. Instead of when you're speed dating, you pretty much go off of looks because you're only there for like, what, 30 seconds or a minute or something? Or but ultimately, minutes. you have to have an attraction to that woman, haven't you? Many, many years ago, I've been on first dates, and within a few minutes, I'm like, this is not working. There's no electricity. And then you leave them with the bill. That's right. Well, I'm not going to pay for their Dairy Queen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Since looking at your date's face is out of the question, people attending such events are allowed to decorate their paper bags (laughs) over their heads as they see fit. Quick, draw a picture of Brad Pitt. (laughs) (laughs) Many choose to write funny messages that reveal something about their personality. 
and some even draw smiley faces. I wonder if you could draw like Bluto from Popeye or something with a big beard. I'll blow it out. No, would that be? Oh. What would you draw? Can you imagine if you had a paper, you really like this guy and you had a paper bag on his head and then he takes off the paper bag and you're like, put it back on. Just be terrible. Put it it back on. Wow. I liked you much better with the paper bag. I like the idea that you could be walking up the aisle and there's paper bags on both bride and groom. Can you imagine the little model you get on the cake? During a wedding and there's little paper bags just over the bride and groom. I heard there was a new show coming out, and I hope this is a joke, um, a new reality show that is Blind Wedding. Oh, yes, I saw that. Their friends set them up with a bride or, or a groom just based on almost like yep. an arranged marriage. And you're not meeting the person ever yep. until you're taking them up the aisle. Um, which, which is probably a, that's weird leave my bell alone that's outrageous no one touches the inappropriate bell how I'm going to have to sterilise that now your little monkey paws came across the table I didn't have a chance to remove it you should have minus points for interfering with my bell for without touching permission touching your bell touching my bell in public without my permission anarchy it's anarchy Where's the, where could this end it's outrageous Go, you, you were doing so well and you've, 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 you've ruined it, you have. You've embarrassed yourself, you've embarrassed your family, you've embarrassed your country, you've embarrassed your friends. Whatever. Kim's gone red. Whatever. <laughs> Greg, Greg can't even look you in the eye. It's just absolutely outrageous. And on that bombshell, ladies and gentlemen, all good things come to an end. So let us look at tonight's scores in last place the k2 meter with the dead battery is greg on two solely on the back of the fact that every time he makes a noise i genuinely forget to write down scores in second place tied (laughs) i shall give you another three in last place is greg with five points (laughs) because i forget to write down the scores every time he's back to two make a noise In joint second place, Heather, you were there. You snatched defeat from the jaws of victory by interfering by touching your bell with my inappropriate bell. <laughs> you are now tied in a resplendent eight with Kim. But in the lead on tonight's show, winning the thirty-three thousand dollar IR camera, and with a tortoise in one hand and a chair in the other, I have made double figures. I am on. 10 points do not fear listener remember we are back with a whole new bunch of stories next week at the same time and i would love for you to join me for a fun and informative journey through the world of the paranormal strange intriguing bizarre and weird please tell your friends and family about the show and feel free to contact me at any time via my facebook site more questions and answers with Adrian Lee, where all of tonight's stories shall be found in glorious Technicolor, with all their photographs, their videos, and everything unabridged. And more stories than we could possibly get into a show, if you wish to go and look at those. Or you can email me at mqta at rocketmail.com. My gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to Lorna Hunter, Heather Morris, Yaton Drainer, Kim and Greg Gore, Nathan, and all at the International Paranormal Society at intparanormal.net. And for all of the show's sponsors, including the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group and MUFON of Minnesota. It just remains for me to say thank you for listening. And remember, be interested and interesting. Good night. That's all, folks. Oh, yes, indeed. (laughs)